You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And you know, as Christians, this is an ongoing process. It begins on the day that we make that decision for Christ, when we're born again, when we go through our conversion experience, right? God begins to mold us and shape us and equip us. You see, Joseph knew that those years as a slave deepened and matured him in his walk and his relationship with God. You see, hard things are often the means by which believers are helped along the road to practical holiness. Do you know that the moment you decided to give your life to Christ and live for Him, He started a work in you that will take your entire lifetime to take shape? There will be seasons of life that you may never come to understand, but rest assured, there is a reason and a purpose for everything you go through. Today in his message, Pastor Mike reminds us to keep focused on the work that Jesus is doing in our lives, even if we don't understand it. And it's hard. Keep going. Keep focused. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 39 as he continues his message, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Joseph completely subscribed to the teaching of Paul that's recorded for us in that portion of Scripture in the book of Colossians. He understood that he realized that he was actually working for and serving God. As a slave, I was serving God, doing the right thing by my master. What did that get me? They threw me into prison. They threw me into pit, then they threw me into the prison. What a bummer, man, right? Is there a God, he's probably thinking. Why should lies about me be believed? Why do bad things happen to good people? And he was like any of us, flesh and blood. You know, how many times have we had these lapses of faith when things aren't working out the way that we hoped they would work? And we start asking, where's God in all? How do we reconcile our situations, our circumstances, the darkness of those situations with a God who's supposed to supremely love us. And I don't care if you're a new Christian or the senior pastor of the church. When you get hit low and life throws a curve at you, we're all subject to asking those kinds of questions. Let's be honest about it, right? We all have these lapses of faith. The greatest saints in the Bible had these lapses of faith. And so do we. There were things going on in Joseph's mind Things he knew enabled him to answer those questions that helped him to get the victory 
and got him through those difficult experiences. And so what were they? And that's the focus of this morning's message. He might be able to secure help as well in times of trouble. There are three things that helped Joseph to get through this extremely difficult time, to help him answer those questions. The first of which is, Joseph knew that he was being slandered for righteousness' sake, rather than for any evil that he had done. And gang, let me tell you something, that makes all the difference in the world. You see, think about it. Those who follow Jesus, who live like him, and aren't we supposed to, if we claim to be following Jesus, following his footsteps, aren't we supposed to live like he lived, right? He's our example. I'm not your example. God help you. I try to be a good example to the congregation. Seek to live like Jesus. And thus we can be happy in persecutions because it reveals you are truly a follower of his. So come with me. You know, you're trying to do the right thing. You're reading the word. You're studying the word. You're faced with the situation. You appeal to the word and how you're supposed to respond in that particular situation. Okay, and listen, there'll never be anything that you go through in your life's experience that God's word doesn't address itself to. So if you're ever standing at a crossroads, you need to make a choice or a decision, one of those gray areas or stuff, just go through the Bible. Get a good Bible concordance or by topic, a topical Bible. You can be sure that you'll find a bunch of different verses of script that address your particular situation. And then move forward. Pray first. And then, you know, after you believe that you have God's wisdom and God's counsel, then you move forward. And, you know, and then come with me, right? You know that you're doing the right thing. You know that you're allowing God to be a part of the equation. And you can be sure that, you know, you've moved into the center of God's will for your life and you're going to be blessed. And, and come with me. If others don't like it, if people respond by being antagonistic towards the choices that you made or whatever, hey, just praise the Lord. Just know that you are doing everything that you can possibly do to just simply please God and do what God wants you to do. And then if suffering or persecution should come, it just, think about it, you can be happy. I'm not, believe me, I'm not one that, you know, for, the, for righteousness sake, I get persecuted and I'm walking around saying, oh, I'm so glad I'm being persecuted. That would be stupid. But at least, you know, you're being persecuted for righteousness, right? In the Sermon on the Mount, that portion of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel, known as the Sermon on the Mount, Christ's Great Manifesto. In Matthew chapter 5, in verses 10 through 12, you know, some Christians are just obnoxious, you know? And they draw the persecution upon themselves because of the fact that they're just obnoxious and they're hard and difficult to be around. So be careful about that. Persecuted for righteousness' sake, you can be happy about that. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed or oh how happy are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. We're riding with the king. There was a song, there was an album, Riding with the King, B.B. King. King. It was Eric Clapton, right? Eric Clapton and B.B. King. Well, we're not riding with B.B. King. We're actually riding with the king of kings our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, the opposite of this would be, 
God doesn't see. God doesn't care. I mean, this is the conclusion that Joseph could have come to. It doesn't pay to do the right thing. There's absolutely no God. Joseph could have become bitter, but he didn't. He reasoned his fate. And that's the first way that he was able to overcome his time of trouble. And then secondly, the second thing that helped Joseph not to fall into depravity, Joseph had faith in the sovereignty and wisdom of God. The sovereignty and wisdom of God. And listen, it goes back to what I said before, God taking control of our lives, make no mistake about that. And God is ruling and overruling every last detail in your life. And we have to consider the sovereignty and the wisdom and the power of God. And you know, as Christians, this is an ongoing process. It begins on the day that we make that decision for Christ, when we're born again, when we go through our conversion experience, right? God begins to mold us and shape us and equip us. You see, Joseph knew that those years as a slave deepened and matured him in his walk and his relationship with God. You see, hard things are often the means by which believers are helped along the road to practical holiness and made to be more like Jesus Christ. We don't want to hear that. We don't like that idea, but nevertheless, it's true. Because there's nothing like a little trouble, stress, problems, to keep you very close to God, to make you totally dependent upon Him. You know, when everything is just going great, and we'll talk some more about that in a moment, because that has to do with our third and final point in just a moment. You know, praise the Lord, hallelujah, everything's just falling into place. You don't need God. You don't really need to be on your face, on your knees, in your prayer closet, really seeking the Lord, seeking Him in the Word for counsel and direction for your life. And, but the distress of our life's experience just keeps us really close to the Lord, right? Keeps us very attached to Him. 1 Peter chapter 1 puts it this way in verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, and notice it's only a little while, it might be the duration of a lifetime, but in light of eternity, right? It's only a little while. Your suffering may be. You know, you're a lot in life. I don't know why some people just scathe through, you know, life or, you know, glide through life unscathed. While other people, it seems like their whole life's existence is one trauma after another. And how you doing? And then they just lay it on you. And then they get through that and you see them a month later. How you doing now? Oh, and then it's something, you know, some people, that's their lot in life. I don't know why that is. That's who you are. That's a part of your personality, your temperament. That's the things that God has to, you know, and finally in that day when you stand before God, you're going to thank him for all of the trouble that you've been complaining about all your life. Because if it wasn't for that difficult, you would have never reached that final destination standing before him. And so in comparison, think about it, just put it on a graph. Think about, at best, well, how long are we going to live? What's the average lifespan of a, of a person now? Like, let's say 80, I'll just use 80. I think it might be even a little longer, but let's say 80 years. So I only got 10 years left, man. Okay, so I'm out of here, man. So 80 years, so 80 years and on a graph alongside of eternity. It's just a speck. It's just a speck. So with that said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, just a speck, a little while, if need be, you know, 
And you know, you should, maybe you need to ask yourself the question. This, is, this isn't in my notes, but this is something I'd like to pass along to you. It may need be that God has to allow you to suffer. But you're the problem, you know? If you got with his program, you wouldn't have to suffer. So God's got to shake it up a little bit, you know, bring some kind of an irritation into your life to get your attention, to get you back to him, to keep you close to him. So if need be, make it easy on yourself is the point that I'm trying to make, right? It may not need be for you to go through what you're going through at this time. There's something to think about. I'm not even charging you extra for that, okay? Anyway, a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, you see, it's all a part of the process, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation or the revealing of Jesus Christ. You see these hard times in our life's experience? It is the experience by which God removes the dross, if I can use that example, analogy, from the lives of his children and purifies true faith. You know, Billy Graham used to like to share this story about a friend of his, i pass it along to you, who went through the Great Depression, losing a job, a fortune, a wife, and a home. He was a believer in Jesus Christ, and he tenaciously held to his faith, even though he was naturally depressed and cast down by his circumstances. Now, one day in the midst of his depression, he stopped to watch some men doing some stonework on a large church in the city. One was busy chiseling a triangular piece of stone. He asked the question, what are you going to do with that? The workmen stopped and pointed to a little opening near the top of the spire of the church. See that little opening up there near the top, he said? Well, I'm shaping this down here so that it will fit in up there. The friend said that tears filled his eyes as he walked away from the workmen, for it seemed that God had spoken to him personally to say that he was shaping him for heaven by the ordeal through which he was presently passing through. And so it is with us, often, right? And so it was with Joseph. But Joseph knew that God was working behind the scenes. So, you know, ask God to open up your eyes. Next time you're going through a real difficult, trying time, ask God to just illuminate that particular situation and give you revelation on top of revelation of what's going on and see the hand of God working behind the scenes. The last thing that I want to share with you, pass along to you, Joseph knew, and this also helped him, of course, Joseph knew and held on to the truth that persecution allows the believer to show the supernatural strength of their master. You say, How, how's that? Well, think about it. If everything, and I, I've already alluded to this. I told you that we'd pick up on this in our last and final point. But listen, if everything is going well with you and you are rejoicing, what makes you different from unbelievers? An unbeliever who doesn't know Christ as his Lord and Savior, everything's just working out, you know, the way that he hoped it would work out. He has a nice family, a nice home, a good job, but he doesn't know Christ, right? But he's rejoicing, he's happy, go lucky. As I mentioned before, you know, just skating through life unscathed. 
You know, let's go back to that unbeliever. They're complaining. They're murmuring. There's no rhyme or reason why things have gone bad, gone south, you know, for them. They can't make heads or tails of it. They can't explain why things are happening the way that they are happening. But when we can rejoice when things are not going well, folks, that's not easy. But that's where Jesus can be seen clearly in you and the supernatural power of the Christian faith is made manifest. Okay, so here's two people. One's either one's an unbeliever. They're both going through the very same thing. Let's say, I often use this example. You're probably tired of me using it, but I'll use it again just to make the point. The person who's the unbeliever, as I mentioned before, is thinking about how am I going to pay my mortgage payment, my health insurance, whereas the believer is just seeing it in a completely different perspective. He just sees it as another opportunity for God to show himself strong on his behalf. And he's anticipating with great hope and encouragement that God's going to move him to a better position, a better situation, right? And it drives everyone around that person, the Christian that is, crazy. Because here's the other guy, falling, the unbeliever's falling apart. His life is, you know, just falling out from underneath him, whereas the believer is just, you know, hey, you know, I've given my life to Christ. He's taking control of it. He knows what's best for me. He loves me. I'm sure of that. And I'm just going to rest and trust and have faith in God and just see what the end result is going to be. And I know the end result is going to be good. Because my father don't make any mistakes. right? And my dad supremely loves me. You know, it's been said, and I quote, persecution is the dark background for the supernatural radiance of Christ's life. You know, there's this story about the last missionary family to leave China after the communist takeover at the end of World War II. And during their last two years, these missionaries in China, they suffered great persecution. For the better part of those two long years, they lived in a small room where their only furniture was a stool. They could not contact their Christian friends for fear of subjecting them to reprisals for befriending aliens. Their funds were cut off by the government, except for the smallest trickle. The only heat they had came from a small stove, which they lit only once each day to boil rice for dinner. Indeed, the fuel was made by Mr. Matthews from the refuse the animals deposited around the streets. For a time, the couple submitted to the treatment stoically, asking all the while that God would soon deliver them from China. Oh, God, get us out of this predicament. God, get us out of this place. At last, a turning point came in their outlook. They realized that Jesus had come from heaven, not merely submitting to the will of his Father, but delighting in it. And they saw that their own experience was comparable. It was an opportunity for the radiance of joyful obedience to be manifested in them. And after this, they came to rejoice and even to sing hymns. They came to accept the privilege of suffering for the sake of Christ with as much joy as they later had when they learned of their pending deliverance. What a great story. And so, make sure, one last thing. And I've already touched on this. Just one last thing. Make sure that your persecution is for righteousness' sake. 
as I mentioned before, not for being a nuisance, not for being obnoxious, not for wrongdoing. Remember, Jesus himself is our model. We've already firmly established that. And think about that. He lived a helpful, holy, pure, and perfect life. And that's what we are to aspire to as well. But at the same time, I want you to think about it. During the three and a half years of his public ministry, wherever he went, although he was helpful, although he was holy, although he was pure, although he lived the perfect life, he exposed the evil deeds of mankind. And he never shrank from that responsibility. And that's why they hated him. Ultimately, that's why they killed him. And the same is true today. Evildoers hate the exposure of their ways. In John's Gospel in chapter 15, Jesus tells us there to expect these sorts of things, that we shouldn't be surprised when we run up against the same thing that he ran up against. In verses 20 through 23, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Remember now, he's preparing his disciples for his leaving them. Soon he had this divine appointment at the cross. And these men were going to carry on the work that he had begun. So he's reminding them about these things. And then in verse 21, But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. Okay, so the question, is there anything in our conduct that reveals Christ's righteousness? And I don't want anyone to respond audibly, but I want you to think about that. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write that down and ponder that question sometime during the week. Let me ask it again. Is there anything in our conduct that reveals Christ's righteousness? Is Jesus seen has much of our Christianity sunken to a level where it's even hardly noticed. And yes, we live in a country where we are not violently persecuted for our faith in Christ. You know, that can't be said in some other countries by some other people who have taken the name of Christ, our brothers and sisters, you know, in other lands, the suffering persecuted church. But the world has become tolerant of us here in the United States, you know, to a certain extent that is. But have we become far more tolerant of the world? That's the more significant question that we need to ask ourselves. And so God help us to put the principles of Christ's righteousness into action at work and our places of employment. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh my When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, 
it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.